Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Today's guest is Sophie Elwes. She's on the Great Britain Paralympic ski team. She's also an avid wakeboarder who competes internationally. She is a ball of energy. She's traveled extensively as a wheelchair user, as a paraplegic. I'm really excited to learn about her experiences and her tips and tricks. Sophie's also a peer support worker with an amazing organization in the UK. And she's the host of A Life Less Ordinary, a new podcast out now. Sophie, thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me. Really excited to, to be here. Awesome. Um, so give a bit of, bit of context. Uh, where did you grow up? What was your um, sort of childhood like? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in London. Um, very uh, sort of happy childhood. Um, two brothers, parents, um, my my parents always were sort of of the opinion they wanted to give us as many opportunities as they could. Um, we we sort of yeah. So so we tried out lots of different things, uh, lots of different sports and stuff like that. Um, we weren't kind of the family that went like skiing every year, even though my parents really enjoyed doing that. Um, but they wanted to kind of bust those opportunities, um, and skiing was certainly something that I picked up. But yeah, all in all, very happy childhood. Um, yeah. What was your preconceived ideas of a spinal cord injury uh, or wheelchair user? Mm, that's a good question. Um, I suppose I didn't really have a huge amount of sort of insight to what, um, you know, becoming uh, sort of getting a spinal cord injury was. I remember thinking when I was younger, I think I might have met someone who was a tetraplegic. I, th- I remember like when I was really young, I remember like talking to my mum about it and she said, you know, if you kind of break your neck then you you're completely paralyzed from below down and I remember just being oh my god like that's crazy um but that's kind of all I really sort of encountered about it I mean I had some sort of um I knew some uh people with disabilities from um something I did um at a place called Lourdes in France um but it's it wasn't extensive experience to be completely honest I, uh, so my wife had a friend who broke his neck uh, diving into the water when he was 19 uh, and became C5 tetraplegic. And uh, he was really the first, uh, first guy that I knew as a, as a high level tetra, as a wheelchair user. And we used to go around and visit him. He's quite a funny guy. Um, and, but I remember the sense of kind of dread and the sense of, um, feeling very lucky that I, I wasn't um, in that situation. Uh, and I remember thinking quite clearly, man, I, I really hope that never, never, never happens to me. Not realising, I guess, the world we now know and some of the good stuff that's in, in that world. And um, uh, so I guess it's, um, yeah, it was not ironic, but it was, uh, it was difficult facing the realisation that I was, also in that world um i think the concept of becoming paralyzed you know when i explain my situation to people i tend not to use that word because it's it's pretty hard hitting and i think people 
I think it's a, a thing sort of in the in the public eye or you know in public consciousness about being paralyzed and how oh, dramatic and it's the worst thing ever and you must have heard it as well you know like uh, lots of people have said to me before like I if that happened to me I wouldn't want to live and things like that and and I think it's a sort of basic public understanding of you know paral- paralysis is kind of wow end of my god but actually there's so much more to it as we both know <laughs> do you think generally speaking that the public's awareness of um let's just say paralysis spinal cord injury has increased in in the last say 10 15 years that's how would you measure how would you measure that mm, i think it's difficult for me to measure that obviously it's completely objective um well subjective sorry um it's really tricky i think the understanding of it hopefully has got a little bit better um i don't know there's certainly more in the media i think loads more um mm. of of sort of portrayal of disability um but i think the understanding probably still isn't there in, in the general public mm. really. so uh, Take us up, uh, you know, obviously you were at college or uh, university at um, mm-hmm. your early 20s. What, uh, what happened? So I was 22. I just graduated from uni. Um, I was living in London at the time. I just, um, I was, I had a, had a good job. Um, I was very much kind of a party girl in London, lots of friends, living a fairly fast life. Um, and then one evening I went to a party. I remember not really being sure if I wanted to go. I think I was not feeling that that well, um, but I clearly decided to go. Um, I don't remember anything at all of the evening. I remember the day before so vividly up to about 12 o'clock, so vividly that whole day and then just cut out. Um, but basically I was at this party and I was sitting outside on a roof terrace, um, kind of on the, on the edge. Um, and I was, yeah, I basically lost my balance and fell, um, sort of seven or eight meters. Um, which was, yeah, it was, it was a bad fall. I had quite a lot of injuries. Um, obviously broke some ribs, shoulder, see my spine. Um, and it left me with a complete injury. Um, but I also had a head injury as well. I hit my head, uh, which at the time was kind of the main concern, um, like for, for the doctors and things like that. So so following on from that, I went to a hospital in London um, and I spent six weeks in an induced coma. Um, I had pneumonia. I was like really, really unwell. Uh, the head injury was a big concern. I had a, was it? subarachnal hematoma. <laughs> I don't know why I remember those words, but um, yeah, so I think that that was the thing and, and the sort of medical professionals told my family I had 40% chance of surviving. Um, so my, my, my family just, just went through it and they were, you know, by my bedside the whole time. Um, so yeah, six weeks induced coma and then eventually I, I came around, came through. Wow. And Okay, so talk me through the first sort of conscious moments of that. What what was going through your mind? It's a tricky one because when you're in an, in an induced coma, I don't know if you went through that, but it's not as though you wake up and you're like, hello world. <laughs> um, you know, you're really, really sedated and medicated. So it wasn't as though I suddenly woke up one day. It was very gradual. Um, 
there is um when when I was sort of coming round, I know that my family and particularly my mum were very conscious that you know this I, I had become paralyzed they didn't want someone telling me or um without them being there so my mum said you know make sure that um I'm I'm there if she asks or if you know if tell her or whatever and then one day I was sort of you know conscious and I said to the doctor you know I can't feel my legs like what's what's happened and they told me and she was horrified but of course I forgot because you know the sedation and everything like that so it didn't really matter in the end so actually in that sense of finding out what had happened to me it was gradual really initially but of course you know the realization it takes more time than that so yeah I guess to my first few weeks in the spinal unit was filled with this hope that I was going to regain everything and walk out of there or at least just regain partially some aspects of my um uh my function and when that didn't happen as i'd hoped that's when the sort of real penny dropped so to speak what do you remember a moment like that where you you realized fully the sort of gravity of the situation and in your case maybe it was many months later but um but I'm curious about that because what I want to share with our listeners is how you navigated that time and what were some of the things that helped you get through that. Mm. So I completely understand where you're coming from about kind of just being so insistent. Well, certainly I was insistent that this was not the case. In the early days when I was in ICU, um, I was I remember this this um doctor or this kind of guy from outside coming in um, and sort of doing an assessment on me for the spinal unit and I remember you know he was knowledgeable about spinal cord injury and I remember talking to him about it and and saying like what is the likelihood of me walking again or you know getting movement back and he was quite quite abrupt and he said very very little chance because I have a, a really complete injury you know um like no feeling at all and I just remember thinking he doesn't know what he's talking about. Like, I, that's, that's not my reality. You know, that, this is not me. That's crazy. Like, I'm going to get through this. Um, and I was pissed off with that, <laughs> with that guy. Just, you know, I, I just didn't, didn't want to believe it. And then with time, I uh, went to Soap Mandeville, which is a spinal injuries unit in the UK. Um, kind of the biggest one. It's ama- an amazing place. And I think, I, I do remember, um, being in my room, um, I got MRSA, so I was I had my own room, which was a total bonus the whole time. <laughs> um, but I remember, I think I think I had to be hoisted out of my bed or something like that. Um, and I just remember sort of sitting there in this wheelchair on my own, probably for the first time, because um, all my family and friends lived in London. They were amazing; they came to visit me so much. But uh, being on my own and realizing okay, so I think this is probably my reality. And I remember those first few months, just, I just cried so much. I just, it's like I ran out of tears in the end. I just, yeah, really, really devastated initially. Did you what find that that helped? Did, did you find crying? that crying helped at some point? Like, Oh, definitely, definitely, definitely. It's hard work, like crying so much. I remember when I see you just, I've not really talked about this actually, but just I remember like, I I just never cried so much. It was the sort of the you need something outpour. Um, 
but I think like it was particularly bad when I initially and then once I started doing rehab it took a little while to do rehab just because I had to have a second surgery and stuff and once I started doing that it was frustrating but less upsetting and I started to see a future and I think the thing for me I was so fortunate to be at Stowe Mandeville because there was you know there's a lot of people there um and I the physios the OTs they were amazing kind of just really uh, forward thinking and motivating and you know I have always been the sort of person that you know I like I don't know I, I'm I'm ambitious and I I want to strive and I I remember yeah like I I I was going to get on with it. I wasn't going to sit and, you know, wallow for much longer. I was, I was ready to get going. Yeah, that's amazing. So what were some of the other um, sort of influential factors that helped you, um, helped you decide to just get on with it? Aside from your natural personality, what were some of the, um, what were some of those factors and some of those um yeah, uh, I guess opportunities that you've discovered to to sort of lean into it. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, a huge, huge thing that the biggest thing I can pinpoint is really other people. Um, I I met a few other people in my first year, first few years of being injured that were massively influential to me. They were really achieving huge things. One was actually um, with Backup, the charity I work for. There's um, I work on the mentoring team, um, which is a fantastic service, if I do say so myself. Um, and it, 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 it's just really, it's, it's super powerful in that we match people up based on their level of injury, but also their kind of personality and, and maybe what they've done as an occupation. You know, when I'm, I like, my kind of job is like matching people up and I love it. It's amazing because, you know, you, you sort of speak to someone and you say, okay, what do you like doing in your spare time? They say, oh, I like riding motorbikes, whatever. And I'm like, perfect. I've got another guy who's also a T6 and, you know, he, he had his accident with motorbike, that sort of thing. So basically I, um, I had a mentor like that um, and she was absolutely incredible. Um, you've actually had her on the podcast before, uh, Sophie Morgan. Um, and yeah, just totally struck lucky. Uh, and she was your you know, mentor. To have, yeah. I mean, she was, we had a, a awesome. sort of family, like family friend or something anyway. So that's kind of how that worked out. Um, but you know, to have someone like that who is just killing it so, so much um, as a role model and to have her to be able to call up and say, hey, like, you know, I've got this situation, what do I do kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so for me and my advice to anyone going through this initially is reach out, find people, you know, that, that you can like, yeah, aspire to be like. So there was, and there was other people as well. Um, you know, there was a, a, a lady that I met whilst I was in the spinal unit through backup, um, they run sort of wheelchair skills sessions and she was there and, um, she basically, they were introducing themselves and she said that she was a ski racer. She was, um, yeah, like she was, a had been to the Paralympics and I was like, hello, this was really, really early on for me, really early on. I had no idea about this, any of this stuff. My wheelchair skills were absolute pants, like just awful at that time, you know, like also my level of injury is like a T3, 4, which just, you know, my core's a bit, you know, it's not, it's not really there. Um, but, you know, hearing her and I sort of went up and spoke to her, I was like, what, what's that all about? You know, tell me about skiing. Cause you know, I love skiing. I'm like an adrenaline junkie. That's kind of, I love that stuff. So I went to talk to her about that um, and she was amazing and I, you know, I know her really well now and she, she was a great kind of 
um, just sort of inspiration role model. I mean, inspiration is a bit of a bit of a cliche, but um, yeah, an amazing role model for me as well. But basically, her talking about skiing was a huge turning point because she told me that backup run uh, these courses, uh, one of which is uh, a ski course. Um, so back up, basically, shall I, shall I tell you kind of where, where the charity comes from, the story behind that? Yeah. So basically, um, kind of 30 years ago, I think it's 1986, um, it, uh, there's a guy called Mike Nemesbury, who was a freestyle skier and um, a stuntman as well. He was in uh, James Bond movies. And he basically, he was practicing one day, I think it was on a trampoline, and he broke his neck um, doing that. So basically, his friends, um, including the now president, uh, Konrad Beltelski, who is uh, like a, the sort of the most successful Olympic skier from the UK, um, they basically wanted to get him back up the mountain. Um, and that's where Backup came from, really. So originally, it was a ski charity. Now they've diversified and they do all sorts of things about going back to work, obviously mentoring and uh, other amazing services. Um, but skiing is really where it came from. So... We're, after that, she encouraged me to apply for this course, um, which I did. And, and that was, you know, that and knowing other people in a similar situation, that course was a huge turning point for me. I've said this before on the podcast that one of my first outings was um, was down to Lake Wanaka to go on a, uh, it was oh, kind yeah. of almost like a, it was a Paralympic sailing uh, recruitment kind of thing, um, and I, I'm, I love sailing. I've grown up sailing, and um, seeing what the guys could do and the girls, it was it was really um, I felt really out of my comfort zone. You know, they would basically just get out of wheelchairs, shuffle down on on um, on their backsides and into the boat, and um, and it just kind of pushed you a bit. And um, and I came away from that feeling a whole whole lot more confident and with some yeah. new skills. Yeah, I think that 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 that's the thing is about the comfort zone. You know, you can stay in your comfort zone, but then you're going to essentially fester or whatever. Um, for me, that that realization that I needed to get out of that, and then following on from that, I I basically, I mean, I'm sort of fast forwarding a little bit, but um, from on that first trip, um, I you know had such a great time. It was really kind of really eye-opening for me, meeting these other people, you know, ski racers who, you know, hurled down the mountain at, you know, 70 miles an hour and they were all paraplegics like me. I was like, this is mad. Um, yeah. What we can ask questions. I was, yeah. I, what was, okay, so you've, you've gone away on this sort of camp mm -hmm. and presuming most of the logistics were sorted for you, but what were, what were some of the real challenging things you found on that sort of first trip away? Mm, good question. Um, Mm, I mean, I think, well, uh, yeah, the, like the transfers were, <laughs> some, are, some are all right, but things, I remember having to do a bath transfer because in America they kind of only have baths in a lot of places. Um, and like now I'll do a bath without thinking about it. But then I was like, well, I can't do that. Like that's really hard. Um, and there's just certain things like that. You know, I think, I think when you're, you know, with, with skills like that, once you're sort of 10 years or however many years down the line or unless you're incredible after a few years, but you know, those skills, you kind of have to build and learn them. Um, and it's sort of like a, 
I don't know, it's a sort of repertoire of skills that you're able to do. But yeah, earlier in, in those stages, um, certain, certain sort of transfers were, were definitely quite tricky for me. I remember... And then that, the skiing, it's the main bit that was hard. Yeah, that is hard, isn't it, first off? <laughs> totally. Yeah, and I mean, T3, like trying to monoski is... Especially yeah. a, year, a year injured, because it definitely gets better, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah, a year. Okay. Yeah, and I, man, I found it tough as a T10. But yeah, so <laughs> that's really high. Um, good job. Yeah. Um, what was I going to say, I, I remember early on somebody as a mentor of mine actually saying, Oh, I don't really, I haven't really modified my house too much. Um, mm-hmm. because, um, it kind of just almost, well, I think his words were, it just makes you sort of lazy, you know? And, mm-hmm. um, so I remember going away to a lot of friends' houses afterwards and they didn't have anything modified or accessible and, I remember learning to tie a shoelace onto my wheelchair so that I could push it out of the, the toilet door and close the door and then go to the, go to the toilet. And then I'd pull the wheelchair back with the shoelace. And, you know, just a lot of sort of things like that. Adaptability, right? Yeah, totally. Um, <laughs> and like you said, the bath transfers and things like that. Um, yeah, that takes time to learn those skills. It's kind of, mm. um, you know... Early on, when I was young, I did gymnastics, and I, I, I very clearly remember feeling like I was learning gymnastics, a gymnastics definitely, routine. Definitely, definitely. You know what? I remember being like in ICU and having my first physio session there, and the physios they showed me, and this is really early on. I'd been, you know, like in bed for two months or whatever, and they explained to me how I would get from the chair, uh, from the bed onto the chair, and they'd say, you know. You'd lift your body weight up with your arms, shuffle your body over, transfer. And when you've been in bed for two months and, you know, you've been in a coma, like I was so weak. And I just remember thinking like, that is not possible. You know, maybe for other people, maybe they can do that. But I just remember so clearly thinking like, not, not me. I will, I never will be able to do that. Yeah. (laughs) So tell us about your, you just finished university. And clearly you had some plans or some idea of what the future would hold. What, Mm -hmm. how did that lead? So I wanted to be in events. That's what I was doing. I was really focused on that. Like I said, I was quite ambitious. So I was always kind of um, doing things in order to help my career and to get that experience and stuff like that. Um, And at the time I remember really, really early on, like sitting in my hospital bed and being like, yeah, that's not going to work. Like I was practical about it for sure. I didn't want to do something that I couldn't do fully. Um, so I decided when I was younger, I'd always had in the back of my mind that I wanted to be a teacher. Um, and I had been thinking about it in the, in the years sort of past. So I decided literally in ICU, I was going to go do a PGCE, which is like a teacher training qualification, um, for some crazy reason as a newfound wheelchair user. Um, so that's what I did. Like a year after my injury, I got, um, I got on a course, um, at UCL in London to do the PGCE. PGCE is, um, notoriously challenging. Um, London is also really inaccessible generally like um it's a really old city as you'll know uh steps everywhere schools really really hard to find one that's accessible so yeah that's what I was doing basically a year after my injury I was I was trying to be a training training to be a primary school teacher um talk about getting into the deep end 
Did you have any sort of confidence issues or, you know? Massively, massively, what? yeah. Tell us about that. Uh, I mean, my confidence had just plummeted. I I mean, you know, part, partly as well, when I had my injury, I had a head injury and it meant that I lost my hearing in my right ear, which sounds fairly small, but actually that was huge, particularly in teaching or, or in, in all of my life. You know, I'd be in a situation with friends, whether it's in the pub or whatever, and I couldn't hear anything. And I was sitting down and, you know, I wasn't able to get to Louisa, I couldn't get to the bar, all that sort of stuff. Um, you know, in, in that environment, it just, yeah, my confidence took a plummeting. And I think with the teaching, if I was to go and do it now, I would really enjoy it. And, you know, I, I got through it. It was definitely, it was definitely a bit of a struggle. Um, I think it was, it was just me trying to balance such a difficult qualification to do with this new life. And that's exactly what it is. I'm sure you'll agree, you know, for a long time. And, and still now I, I say like before and after, it's a new life and you have to completely readjust in my opinion, in order to like move forwards. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> I guess in a lot of ways, having that focus and having something so clearly to focus on, um, mm. you know, it takes away from thinking about how sorry you are for yourself. 100%. 100%. And that's why, even though it was quite challenging, that is, it was so good for me. And I really enjoyed studying, actually. Like, I loved, you know, studying about sort of the child psychology element and things like that. And it was great to have that. Because a lot of my friends were, you know, they were getting on with their careers. They are all working really hard. And, you know, it was nice for me to have something to do. And so, yeah, for like those two years, I really got my head down and, and got, got stuck in. Um, but kind of like during that time, obviously, I went away with backup, discovered skiing, totally got the bug. And when I was out on the backup trip, um, go to a place called Winter Park in Colorado. Have you been there? Oh, yeah, no. Winter Park. Ah, you got to go. Um, so when I was out there on that 10-day trip, I remember saying to someone out there, like, I'm, I'm going to come back. I'm going to come back and do a season. Now, this is like 22-year-old, newly injured me, but I just had this like idea that I, I knew it was something I wanted to do. I'm going to come back, do a full season. I want to get good enough to like ski with friends. I wasn't thinking about ski racing at all. That wasn't in my mind, but I didn't want to... I wanted to go away with friends. I love skiing, but I wanted to be good enough not to fall the whole time. And I knew, being my level of injury and all that sort of stuff, um, I knew I'd need a long, a long, long time. So after I did my PGC, finally got it in the bag, God, um, went out there. Um, and yeah, that, that was the reason for that really was knowing like, you know, in London, I was being really kind of well looked after. I was living with my family, like they were taking great care of me. My mom was amazing. Um, but I needed to sort of, you know, stretch, spread my wings and, you know, I needed to get out of that comfort zone and go and find out sounds so cheesy but kind of who I who I was now and you know how I was going to proceed mm. from here and it was the perfect thing I feel so lucky that I was able to go and spend like five months learning how to ski and figuring out like what my life was going to look like from here on in. At 23 I packed my bags and went to the states and I was really into climbing so I I had a snowboard and I had all my climbing gear, my big wall climbing gear, and I headed, headed to Yosemite and I, I pretty much lived that over oh, wow. for, for three months. And um, 
and then travelled up to um, Canada, worked on a fishing boat for a wee while and and had this. Uh, so I, I can kind of understand the age and the time you're at. Like you say, I was totally finding myself. I had this sort of freedom. I was no longer, you know, I'd finished my apprenticeship. I no longer had anyone kind of determining which direction I was going to take. And mm. that was no different for you. Um being a, a 22, 23-year-old with a spinal cord injury, um, mm. you, I guess you just had to contend with, a, with, a, with another, another life um, on top of a, a, you know, a, a new direction that you were taking. Mm. Um, I, needed, I needed a situation that wasn't as easy as well. You know, I, mm. my, my family made it as easy as possible, you know, with good reason, and that was amazing. But I needed to sort of, yeah, push myself and see what my limits were. And skiing was the perfect kind of vehicle to enable me to do that. Like, you know, test what I was physically able to do. And also the place that I stayed, you know, the, probably the most difficult bit apart from like falling the whole time when I was learning to ski, literally the whole time. So many tears once again. Um, but yeah, like where I was staying wasn't kind of completely accessible. There was like a bath and, you know, stuff like that. So it was just, it was learning all that sort of stuff, but learning it like, kind of on my terms and learning it yeah for for myself sort of thing so tell us about skiing where did where did you go with your skiing so yeah sort of did that first season um really enjoyed it you know took took a while to kind of get into it as in as in kind of get get good get independent um but like absolutely loved it you know probably two three months in started training with a race team out there doing sort of you know giant slalom and stuff like that you know well definitely wasn't particularly good at that time but uh just yeah really enjoyed it love going fast and um so definitely got the bug then after that came back um and then sort of went went back over again the following season um not for the full season, but for a few months. And during that time, the British British team were out there. So the um, the head head coach of the British disabled ski team, uh, he saw me kind of going down a run, doing super G, going very fast. Probably not particularly stylish, but staying upright. Um, and you know, female monoskier as well. You know, they're slightly few and far between, um, especially in the UK. So I think he saw, saw something in me um, and said, come back. And you know, when you come back over, you know, come and train with us. So it kind of went from there. And then for the next few years, I sort of juggled my time, spent some time out in Winter Park and then um, trained with a team, with a development team um, in, in Europe. A lot of time in the UK, going to the ski slopes kind of indoor ski slopes and stuff like that um and then after a year or so uh sort of became part of the team and then was racing with them what's the uh, what's the skiing like in europe as a as a sit skier oh it's great i mean like access is is not great to be honest it depends a lot um uh, yeah it depends a lot um and it can work, obviously, you know, we went to sort of certain resorts like Pittstown, um, or Hintertooks or whatever, and it, you know, it absolutely can work. Usually with a bit of help, difficult to be completely independent. And that's the beauty of somewhere like Winter Park. You know, you, you kind of jump out your your wheelchair into your mono at the bottom of the of the chair, of the lift. Now they have a gondola actually, so I don't know what that's like. Um but yeah, before that, like you're literally you're off and you're completely independent, which is amazing. Chalice is a way forwards. Nice. 
Um, I'm curious. So as a, as a 23 year old, you're um, free in the world, you're doing something you love. Um, what about relationships? How did you, how did you go with relationships at that time of your life? Um, I think for me, like initially I just, it wasn't something I, in the beginning, I remember so well having a conversation with a really good friend of mine and thinking I'm not going to find anyone and being really worried that this was going to mean that I wasn't going to, you know, get married or have kids or, or whatever. Um, but in the first few years, it wasn't really on my agenda. It just, it, uh, for me, it was about finding out myself and figuring out me before I kind of opened up for someone else. Um, and then my first boyfriend, probably four years, something like that. I, I definitely took like a good few years to, to sort of figure, figure that, you know, that side of myself out. And then, yeah, I got my first boyfriend then. And, um, yeah, I, you know, it's dating is definitely different, um, with a spinal cord injury, as many people will know. Um, I haven't really, I'd never really did any of the sort of online like Tinder or anything like that. I know there's a lot of conversations about what people do and whether they put picture on their wheelchair, you know, of them in their wheelchair or whatever. Um, but I think, you know, the, the sort of the situations that I was in, you know, skiing, water skiing, um, yeah, there's, there's guys around. So yeah, it worked out okay in the end. <laughs> <laughs> You're engaged now, I believe. So congratulations. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Thank you. Awesome. Um, okay, so uh, I'm curious about your um, your adaptive world tour. Um, how did that uh, How did that kick off? Yeah. So um, I uh, obviously spent a lot of time out in Colorado uh, with my very good friend Beth Requist, um, who she's absolutely amazing. Um, she we started ski racing at the same time, actually. But prior to that, she had come, she'd been to Sochi doing cross-country skiing. She basically grew up in Colorado and she wanted to alpine ski as soon as she could, but she wasn't allowed to for a, for a year or so. So what did she do? She started cross-country skiing, went to the Paralympics, which is crazy. Um, and then, yeah, so we started ski, ski racing together. And, and so we did that for, for two, three years or something. And then she, she finished off ski racing and then a, probably a year later or a season later, I did as well. But over that time, we were really, really good friends, spent a lot of time drinking margaritas and, um, eating tacos out in winter park. Um, and so me and her, we were sitting one day doing exactly that, drinking margaritas and eating tacos and talking about what was next, like what we both wanted in our lives, what we both loved. Um, and we both, you know, wanted to, to, to do things, you know, we didn't want to just, um, I don't know. Yeah. We, we, we also had both been really lucky that we'd been able to travel a lot and we both really had that in common. And traveling with a disability is is tricky and a lot of people don't know that it's possible a lot of people I speak to within backup that's a very important thing talk about going on holiday and things and and you know the information isn't necessarily out there so we decided to create a blog and website um called our adaptive world which basically showcased kind of us traveling um we made some youtube videos um and it was kind of yeah we did a, a load of blog posts to sort of provide information for people basically information a little inspiration nice nice and um what was i guess some of the the key 
key two or three pieces of um, of learnings um, from from that time doing that, or even some resources that you might recommend? Um, what for for travelling? Yeah, for travelling. Mm, that's a good question. I mean, I think a lot of it is actually speaking to other people. You know, that's something that is really important because it's it's not necessarily one size fits all. You know, particularly with like plane travel, traveling long haul, you know, managing bladder and stuff like that, you know, to, to sort of get information from other people is usually really important. Um, yeah, in terms of resources, yeah, what were you going to say? Uh, you just opened Pandora's box there. I was going to mm-hmm. um, ask you about bladder. What 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 um, what works for you when you're travelling on long haul flights? Long haul flights for me, uh, using like an indwelling catheter. Usually, mm. you know, just I have transferred into the toilet when I've needed to on a flight, and it's a pain to be honest. It's so tiny, you can't get the wheelchair in there. You well, you're not in a wheelchair anyway. You're on the aisle chair, mm. um, but that. You know, a sort of 180 transfer is, you know, it's tricky at the best of times, but doing that, like, when you can't put the brakes on when there's no handrail, that's not not ideal. So, yeah, that that's what I do, really, just just saves any trouble. And you can also, you know, take advantage of the of the bar. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. I, I used to do that, and... Um, uh, but I, I found I, I just the risk of getting an infection... Um, mm was was too great for me so i um i stuck with my intermittent and um recently i was in the states and long haul flights i would just put a blanket over my head and just swallow my pride and um you know just forget about what other people thought about mm. what what is this guy doing under there and just get on with it um and uh, i of course i did do the aisle chair and i know exactly what you mean by the 180 transfer and yeah it's quite tricky Indeed, mm. uh, I think I think it's definitely easier for guys to to do that for sure. <laughs> you know, and, uh, yeah, totally <laughs> in your seat or whatever. <laughs> it's a bit messy. Um, so, how long have you been involved with Backup for? And um, yeah, what um, what would you recommend um, people do if they're looking for some support? What would you What would you recommend if someone's out there and they're just thinking, oh, "I'm just, oh, just really." I don't. I don't feel like I can reach out. I. I don't want to be seen as, um, you know, needy or, or weak. Or I'm just. I don't know how to reach out. What. What, what would you say? Well, when when me and Beth were doing our adaptive well, we spent a lot of time putting stuff out on Instagram because obviously there's a huge community of people from all over the world um, who are able to access information there. Um, and it was really incredible. You know, so many people reached out to us. I remember there was a girl who was like 15 and she just had a spinal cord injury and she was always a skier before and she had no idea. She was based in in the States, I think, and she had no idea skiing was possible and she was seeing these pictures that we were putting up there of us. And I've definitely found, you know, social media has been an amazing place for communicating with other people. Um, And there's a lot of, you know, a lot of your guests are, you know, feature on on social media on Instagram and stuff like that um and people are always willing to sort of you know share advice and tips and stuff and it's such a an inspiring and empowering place I think I mean social media can be problematic of course and a lot of people have a hard time with that um and I definitely know how that feels but personally I find something like Instagram can be just really really inspiring because you can 
tailor it to yourself. And I choose to follow people that, you know, that I learn from or that I, that inspire me or, or whatever. So it can be a really great place for that. And, you know, like we were saying before this, this community that we both kind of exist in is such a, a friendly one. People always want to give advice, you know, um, so yeah, I would say, I would say, look out on social media, reach out like that. And of course, you know, and, and obviously it's going out to people kind of not just in the UK, but you know, there's, there's a great many organizations that provide support, whether it's through courses or camps or mentoring or whatever, you know, there's loads in the USA, um, you know, lots in the UK, I'm sure many in New Zealand too. So yeah, like reaching out to the support that's available, you know, and, and, and not being too, um, yeah, and uh, not being afraid to sort of accept that you kind of you need a bit of help or, or advice or whatever, because you know it's it's there's other people in this situation too. Yeah, good advice. What what frustrates you today? Is there anything in particular today? Um, what sort of change would you like to to see um, in the world? Good question. Um, I think an understanding of disability um, and that it is not a kind of monogamous group and that there are different people with different abilities and being in a wheelchair does not equal inability. Um, And just, I think with younger generations, certainly with my generation and younger people are far more accepting and they'll look at me for who I am as a person who uses a wheelchair. People in the older generations tend to, you know, say, do you want to push or whatever, you know, and they they can't kind of see past the wheelchair. And that has always been an issue for me that I've struggled with a lot, you know, when people kind of, uh, underestimate what I'm able to do or what people like me are able to do. Um, and I've, I've always, you know, I've, I've said before, I have in the first few years, certainly, I think until probably a year or two ago, I was always trying to achieve so much. I was trying to, you know, I did the London marathon last year and, you know, ski racing and all this sort of stuff. And part of that really was to prove myself, you know, and now I'm at a stage where I'm kind of, I don't need to prove myself anymore, you know, and I think that's really comes down to me and my feelings about myself. And, you know, the fact that my confidence is at a place where I feel satisfied and happy just to kind of get on. But yeah, really the sort of the, the, uh, what's the word? Uh, yeah, the, the, the perception that people with the, with a disability are just disabled and unable full stop. That's frustrating for me. I would love to see that change. That's really interesting. You mentioned that you don't feel like you have to push yourself so much anymore. Um, how much of that is your, you know, readjustment to your self identity? Um, and did you did you have a did you have a have to really adjust your self identity? Um, yeah. Yeah, you, that's such a good question. Have I, you come to so a much- sort of equilibrium? Have you come to a have you come to a, a you know? A, a, a happy place again, you know, with I'm working on it. I'm working on it. It's a really good question. I think it, it has occurred to me that, you know, I've spent, I spent so, so much of my time trying to prove myself, trying to do all these things to make me look as though I'm still achieving and the wheelchair isn't holding me back and things like that. Um, 
in uh, as I finished off ski racing, I started water skiing, and I now do that a lot. You know, very like competitively. Last year, I went to the World Champs in Norway um, with three other teammates from the UK, which was absolutely amazing. And that experience of competing there, it really—I don't know whether this will necessarily answer your question, but it really showed to me that the important thing was to compete against myself and not compare myself to other people. And I think that's kind of relatable to that general perception of myself. Um, and the idea that, you know, that phrase about sort of carving your own journey and things like that. And as I finished off ski racing, that kind of became apparent to me that I didn't need to try and emulate my heroes or these, these people that I knew or whatever. I could do things my way and that's okay. And that's good enough. Um, and yeah, like as I started water skiing, um, and competitively realizing that it's not about, I can't compete with other people who, you know, have been doing it longer or who are better or have a low level injury or whatever. I can only compete against myself. And that realization was just massive for me. And my performance in competitive sport is completely different as a result. You know, it's far better knowing that, really. Wow. It's being comfortable with where you're at, right? And mm, I think so, yeah. Well, I mean, it's, yeah, it's still a work in progress. I'm still madly competitive and I get so frustrated. Like I was, I was water skiing on Saturday and it was really windy and the water was really choppy at Heron Lake where we go. And I was just like hitting the water, like, you know, just so annoyed. So yeah, definitely a work in progress, <laughs> but getting there, getting there. <laughs> yeah. You must come out of it after having, you know, a bit of a tantrum and a bit of a, and you must come out <laughs> feeling pretty, pretty good afterwards, I imagine. Yeah, totally, totally. Best feeling in the world, I think. Oh, alongside skiing. So good. Hey, um, so Sophie, you're, you're a host of a podcast now. You just started a podcast. What, um, what was the motivation behind that? So the motivation behind that was when I was, mainly when I was ski racing uh, in, in the US and, and in Europe, I would be in these environments where I would be sitting amongst people you know, from all over the world, uh, there would be a female amputee from Japan. There would be a blind skier from Chile, um, you know, a, a paraplegic from New Zealand, the best, the best skiers of all from New Zealand. Um, and they would all have a different story. Um, and, you know, they were all there for the skiing. They all loved that adrenaline and going fast and things like that. So that's a sort of shared thing we all had. Um, but it just, the people always really fascinated me. And I just remember thinking like, you know, I'm having these conversations with people from all over the world. They've all got these incredible stories. They're all pushing, you know, barriers and boundaries, but people back home, you know, my friends, they have no idea about what goes on here. You know, they don't know that, you know, what, what these people are achieving, you know, like they don't know what Corey Peters looks like, you know, flying down the hill and, and, and where that story comes from or Elena Nichols and how she's achieved all that. Um, and I met a girl, uh, called Alexandra Adams on one of my training camps. Uh, it was in Pittstown and she's absolutely amazing. She's a deafblind medical student. Um, and she was also, um, skiing and she came and did some training camps there and her story is phenomenal and I think it was really you know we became good friends after that and we had some really amazing conversations and yeah it was it 
partly, you know, that conversation that made me think, you know what, more people need to hear this. And I've always been, you know, people is my sort of lifeblood in a way. You know, I love people. I love talking to them, communicating and things like that. So, yeah, it just seemed, it seems sort of obvious to me to, to get these stories out there. And, yeah, it's amazing. You know, lockdown has worked in my favour for sure. I've been able to get some incredible people on. Um, and they, you know, they keep saying yes, which is nice. Ah, uh, that's so good. And uh, so, what does the future hold? What does the future hold for you? What other things have you got in store aside from obviously um, getting married at some point? Um, <laughs> what, are, what other exciting things are, um, do you have planned? So the podcast is definitely going to continue. Um, I am going to, I'm planning, I'm not planning, I'm going to the world champs uh, for wood skiing in, it was going to be January, 2021, but now it's January, 2022. So that's in Australia. Um, The plan there is um, to try and break the world record for someone in my classification doing the outer course, which is, you know, it's going all right so far. So that is my plan. Um, and yeah, kind of keep on rolling, keep on interviewing amazing people around the world. The podcast, you know, it's a lot of people, there, there are a few people with disabilities, obviously, because, you know, there's a, a shared interest. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm really, the idea behind it is to interview people who have overcome huge challenge and adversity in their lives of all forms, whether it's mental health or, um, you know, disability or, you know, all sorts of things or kind of life circumstances growing up or whatever. Um, and to find out how they've overcome that um, and and what sort of advice they can share for other people. Um, and yeah, there's, the, the advice so far has been absolutely amazing. So I'm really, really enjoying it. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. Well, um, it's been so amazing to have you on as an Adaptifier on the Adaptify podcast. Thanks for joining me. Really appreciate it. It's been lovely to um, to chat with you. Um, and I really hope that um, you make it down to New Zealand and, and one day and we can catch up and, and do something fun together. Um, yeah, sounds great. Where can people find your podcast? And uh, also where, where else can people find you online? How can they connect with you? Sure. So my podcast is called A Life Less Ordinary with Sophie Elwes. So you can find it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, all the regular places. Um, my best place to find me probably is Instagram, which is just Sophie Elwes. Um, yeah, I'm on, on on some of the other platforms, but yeah, not not really um, uh, active on them. So yeah, that, that's where it's at. Awesome. I'll um, put those links in um, the show notes and um yeah, thanks so much once again, Sophie. It's been great to see you and and chat. We had no technical issues, which is uh, almost unheard of, uh, which is fantastic. Um, thanks all the Instagram followers out there for checking it out. It's been, been good to see you. I've waved to some of you and and um, haven't been able to wave to you all, but um, nice to have you on the on the show and um, joining us live. Yeah, thanks nice again, one. Sophie. Thanks so much for having me. Awesome. Have a good day. Same yeah. to you. Keep going hard. <laughs> Yeah, you too. You too. Take care. Bye. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's A-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y.com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. 
Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.